This is Charisma Connection. I'm Chris Johnson. We conclude our series today with this episode on the Samaritan women and human trafficking. The Samaritan Women, based in Baltimore, Maryland, has its Institute for Shelter Care, and their ministry is just multiplying. They are expanding by mentoring others who want to start shelters across the country. And we're going to learn more about that today after this important message. Domestic sex trafficking is being called the human rights crisis of our times. This insatiable and unrestrained trade takes a child of God and turns that person into a product, destroying them physically, mentally, spiritually. Can you even imagine the level of abuse and isolation a victim experiences? The Samaritan women can. They have been serving victims of sexual exploitation for over 12 years and are joining us at Charisma to share their experiences and call the faithful to rise up against this evil. We have to address the demand and prevent further victimization. We also have to stand in the gap for those who have already suffered horrific abuse. The Spirit has moved the Samaritan women to raise up qualified shelters across the nation. So when that one child, that one woman, is able to leave, there's a qualified Christian program ready to receive them. Please join us in this important series and prayerfully consider lending your support. To learn more, visit sheltercareusa.org. It's good to have Calvin Fanning back with us. He is the Director of Shelter Mentoring at the Institute for Shelter Care. And Kay Duffield is with us for the first time. She is the Executive Director of the Northern Virginia Human Trafficking Initiative, or NOVA HTI, which might be easier to remember. And Kay is also a registered nurse, so I'm sure that comes in handy in this line of work. Calvin and Kay, welcome to Charisma Connection. Thanks, Chris. Thank you, Chris. It's a privilege to be here. Uh, It's great to have you both. Now, I'm sure it's a big challenge, Calvin, to start a shelter. How do people get into this, and (laughs) how do they get called to do this? You know, I actually get asked that quite a bit. Um, And every time someone asks me, I think of, uh, I always think of Romans 10, whenever Paul writes, um, how can they believe if they have not heard? Um, Mm. Because many people don't even know that this is an issue in the U.S. So it always starts with just becoming aware. Um, And then after you become aware, you sort of begin to become awakened to the fact that it's um, it's everywhere. It's it's in our backyards. It's it's happening on our streets. And um, after that, I think the call starts to come whenever God starts to stir your heart. to to these people who are being victimized and um i'm sure that Kay has experienced this where you you become so burdened by it that you just um have to go to god and say what can i do and i think after that the call just comes from listening to god and trusting him and um i think in a way we're all called to called to this field called to address this called to um serve these survivors in some way it's just the ones that say yes are the real heroes I would concur with that. I mean, it's a tough field to get into, but it is a larger societal problem, and all of us, especially as Christians, need to be involved at some level. Now, Kay, what has been your experience in the field of anti-sex trafficking, and how did you find yourself called to shelter work? Yeah, mine was so interesting. I had not really even heard of of human trafficking, sex trafficking, or labor trafficking until 2011, my friend um, who, who 
leads her own ministry, invited me to go to Chiang Mai, Thailand to work with um, the girls, the women, the lady boys who were being sold through the open air bars, the brothels on the streets. And so it was full immersion um, and God wrecked my heart. I, I came back from that and there had been started in 2010 a grassroots movement in the county where I live. And so when they found out of, about the work I had been doing in Chiang Mai, um, just for that short period, they asked me to, to join forces with them. And that grassroots movement started out of five churches. Um, and so in 2014, I became the executive director. And in the beginning, we were really about educating the community and as we started serving on the task force, the regional task force, law enforcement asked us if we would start a victim services team. So they would have a place to refer the victims to when they were recovered. And we, as a Christian organization, really took time to pray and fast. This was 2015 and um, really felt like God had opened that door. To date, we've served about 180 survivors, but realized we couldn't provide adequate service without the housing piece. These survivors were falling through the cracks. And so we realized that that had to be our next step to open a shelter. 180 survivors since what, 2015? Yeah. Okay, that's quite a large number of um, individual lives that you've had to work with and, and getting them out of trafficking is no small task, is it? No, no, it's definitely not. You know, there's so many strongholds that hold them back. I would say the number one thing we come up against is just that that trauma bond with the person that's trafficking them. Mm -hmm. Well, um, Kay, what, is, what has it been like learning from the Institute for Shelter Care? That's such a huge question, and I, I so honor them in the work that they're doing. The, the three things that really come to mind is that they have equipped us, they have grounded us, and they have sharpened us. And I can just share um, just examples of what I mean by that. Yes, please. We've, we've certainly, they've equipped us in educating us of all facets, how a healthy shelters should run in serving these victims who have been trafficked, these amazing survivors. And even though we've um, been a nonprofit for five years, there have been so many things that we could, as we learned, immediately implement them. And uh, it's allowed us to even provide a higher quality of care to the survivors. One example is their care team model. Um, before, what we were doing is we would have our, if a survivor's referred to us, our case manager would do the intake, write out the plan of care, make the decisions for the client. And what we learned through the care team model is you bring those people, those leaders together that are actually serving the client. Um, and it's a team effort instead of those decisions being on one person. For our care team, it includes myself, our director of survivor services, our 
Survivor Services Coordinator and our intern, and we meet weekly. Every Wednesday, we discuss each survivor, their needs, we pray for them, and we just, it's been a game changer. The second piece is um, they've grounded us, and what I mean is they have modeled what it looks like to be leaders in this movement, to walk in humility and, and honesty about uh, their successes, but also their failures. And the example I want to give for that is one day, I, I will never forget, actually, this day. And it was towards the end of many months of training through this mentorship. And it was close to the end of the week. And Jean Allert, who's the executive director, she was standing in front of our classroom and she said, I feel like we're supposed to go in a different direction today. Um, just feel like Holy Spirit's leading us to do this. And so she's standing there holding this binder, amazing binder that's at least four inches thick with all the amazing material that's just gold to us that we had learned over many months. And she holds it in front of us and she says, this, this is worth nothing if you don't have God leading you. Hmm. And it was, it was that moment almost as if thinking, looking back in where God being acknowledged, his presence just filled the room it, with that weighty presence that I can't really adequately describe. Mm -hmm. But I know that the gene was started crying. We were all crying. Um, and it was just that realization that we can spend all year being educated by the best in the field. But if we don't have the Holy Spirit guiding us in how to apply that education, then we might as well go home. Well, that is powerful. Yeah. And I'm sure many in our audience understand what you mean by that presence of the Holy Spirit. But we must acknowledge God in all that we do, or Gene was right. <laughs> you know, we're yeah. not going to be effective. We're not going to have fruit in the ministry, right? That's right, exactly. We can be extremely educated and have all the knowledge, but it's the Holy Spirit that has to show us how and when to apply it. He mm -hmm. loves these survivors so much, and he knows exactly what they need. Yes. So how else has the Institute helped you? Yeah, and the third one, I would say they've really helped us to sharpen our identity as leaders and as an organization, they helped us to walk through the steps to identify exactly what type of leader we are so we can walk in that. And, and they, they use, there's different tests and things you can, you can use, but they use the Enneagram test, which has become one of our favorites. All of our leaders have had it now. Every family member I have has had it, <laughs> even my dad, it, because it really helps you realize who God's created you to be and how he's created you to lead and move and work and serve him. And then even walking through the steps, taking us through those steps as an organization. And keep in mind that we had, we had been a nonprofit for five years, but through those steps, um, you know, that Calvin and Jean and, and the team walked us through um, as to our mission statement, our statement of faith and, 
different things like that, we actually changed a lot of that. We sharpened up our mission statement. We became more defined with our statement of faith. And we're actually starting to go through a rebranding process because of the steps, how that, um, how God spoke to us um, through those sessions. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like the Institute has really helped you in, in many ways. Uh, Calvin, anyway. I've heard you reference the mentees uh, who are wanting to start shelters as a cohort. Now, what's the significance in that word? Yeah, so um, actually back in 2016, we hosted one of the first gatherings of shelter care providers for uh, for victims of, of human trafficking. And um, we just realized that there were all of these people out there across the nation doing this work um, and their heads were down and they were focusing on these victims and, and doing their best, but they didn't know that there were other people out there doing it too. Um, and this this conference was amazing because people were unburdening themselves of all these struggles that came with this work and um, just really sometimes having a shoulder to cry on and sometimes being being able to go to people and say, we are, we are failing in this way. Does anyone know how to do this better? And it was, it was just amazing to, to see these people um, bond over the fact that they weren't alone in this work. And so we realized that uh, the support of one another is the, one of the best things that we could offer our mentees uh, from the start. So um, our mentees go through their entire shelter startup process, uh, all of their training, um, in a cohort of their peers from day one. So they're, um, the, these, these four mentees, these mentee organizations are, are able to talk to each other and sharpen each other um, and go through this together. Um, that was in some ways not a privilege that uh, the Samaritan women had all the time. Um, we had you know, just a, a few friends out there who were pioneering this, um, uh, this field and we just realized that um, being able to do this work shoulder to shoulder with other organizations is probably the best thing that we could offer. So um, that falls right in line with, like Kay was saying, our, our care team model. Um, no one needs to be doing this alone. So uh, in everything that we teach, everything that we practice, we try to incorporate um, that team, that cohort, that, um, that knowledge that you're not doing anything alone. So the cohort is probably one of the, the best things, I think, that we could offer. And Kay might um, hopefully agree that just having those people across the nation that she can lean on um, will be a valuable thing moving forward. Have you yet leaned on anyone, Kay? We act, we probably have reached out to three or four other shelters um, because of that, learning about them and being connected to them, you know, through the mentorship. It, it, it's been really incredible. Hmm. And, and I would agree, it's, it's such a, it is God's model for us to join together as the body. We're, we don't need to do, and we shouldn't do this work in silos because we're going to make a bigger impact together. Yes, and uh, you don't want to feel isolated in this kind of work. I, I think that uh, uh, there's a, an evil one, an enemy that we have in this type of spiritual work who's going to come against us if we're isolated. Absolutely. I, yeah, I totally agree. There's there have been so many times throughout this mentorship and continues. Last week, I, I reached out to Jean Allert and just, you know, leadership is hard. And just to talk through some things and she, 
she gave me a whole page of things that I could, um, again, implement right away that, that really helped. Wonderful. Well, Kay, what is next in your shelter experience? Yeah, so we will continue um, providing services uh, to survivors that are referred to us through our resource center. We have set aside Thursdays. In fact, our, our survivor services team right now um, are working on our policies and procedures, really getting them fine-tuned so that when we have the house, we'll be ready to rock and roll and move right in. And we continue to raise the funds because the, the funding now um, is the big piece. And mm -hmm. so we actually have a new campaign starting May 11th called Reset 180 Campaign uh, that will help us to raise funds to not only strengthen our infrastructure, but um, hopefully get the house open. So, so how, many, how many beds do you expect to have in the house? So to start out, we've mm -hmm. been told that six is kind of that perfect number for one home. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's where we're going to start. Okay. Um, and when do you anticipate opening? Well, we would certainly love to, to have a house and property uh, sometime this year so that we can get everything figured out with the zoning and all of that and start accepting referrals into the housing program next year. Okay, wonderful. So, Kay, what would you say to someone else considering this work? Oh, well, I would, I would, of course, off the top of my head, I would say pray, seek wise counsel, and be obedient to what God's calling you to do. Mm -hmm. But I would also add to that that they, whoever feels that they're being called to take an honest assessment of why they want to do this work. Many of us um, engage in anti-trafficking work because we have um, woundedness that's happened in our own selves um, and possibly through abuse, some people um, trafficked. But where, where are you in the healing journey? Because um, if you still need a lot of healing, um, you'll end up hurting people instead of helping. You know, mm -hmm. that old saying, wounded people wound people, but healed people heal people. Yes. And then lastly, I would say just that leadership in any capacity is hard. So it's important to have a strong support structure in place for yourself in terms of healthy relationships with people who encourage you and good self-care habits in place. All good. Calvin, what would you say to someone considering this work? You know, something our mentees actually taught me this last year is just the importance of approaching this so um, with so much humility and open-handedness. Um, all of these mentees, you know, they came in with certain ideas, but um, just watching them move with the spirit has been incredible. Um, you know, they, they've been honest about their, their strengths and weaknesses and, said, you know, I'm the, I'm the executive director, but this isn't my strong suit. And I feel like God is asking me to invite someone else in or, um, or send somebody else out or, 
um, you know, a couple of our, our mentees just really slowed down and listened to God and said, you know, I think he's asking us not to um, go after that long-term shelter right now. We need to do emergency services because that's what, um, that's what our community needs. And um, I don't know, there's just such a, almost a lack of pride. They were just so willing to, um, to ask God where they needed to move. Um, and they would put their foot out even before there was a stone to step on. And so I think having that attitude, having that, um, yeah, having that open-handed, um, honest conversation with God is, um, is definitely something to do if you're considering this work. Yes, and just uh, changing with the way the Holy Spirit wants to lead you. Absolutely. Well, as we close, do either of you have some takeaways for how our listeners can get involved? Yeah, Chris. Um, just I know that every, this, everyone is sort of on um, a different journey where, where human trafficking is concerned. And like we said, um, anyone can be involved, whether it's, you know, being the forerunner and um, starting a shelter or just supporting the local shelter in your area. I'm sure that Kay would agree this is um, such a community effort and it's, it's one person with a loud voice, but they're surrounded by um, so many people of support, whether that's through finances and prayer. Um, it's just a, it's a huge effort, but um, because it's so huge and so diverse, anyone can get involved. Um, I mentioned some of the resources on our, our website, um, sheltercareusa.org. Um, it's a great way to just kind of learn about the issue and see how you can plug in. Excellent. Kay, anything else from you? The, anything else you want to share from your heart? I like what Calvin said earlier when he said that there's a place for everybody in this work. Mm. And mm-hmm. whether that, I, I think that that's so important, even if it's um, you're just called to pray from, from home for the survivors or those who are yes. on the front lines or the traffickers or the buyers, um, you can make such a difference. And don't hesitate to look up and reach out to the local human trafficking organization in your area just to see what their needs are, just to see how you could start serving, helping, praying, doing what God's calling you to do to make a difference in the world around you. Oh, that's wonderful advice. Thank you, Kay. And thank you, Calvin, for being with us today on Charisma Connection. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Really appreciate it. And we want to give the website one one more time, sheltercareusa.org. I'm Chris Johnson. Thanks for joining us for this special series on human trafficking here on Charisma Connection. And we bless the ministry of the Samaritan Women and the Institute for Shelter Care and also the Northern Virginia Human Trafficking Initiative. We bless you and we pray the best for you. Be sure to check out the other episodes in this series at cpnshows.com. That's cpnshows.com. This has been a production of the Charisma Podcast Network. Steve and Joyce Strang are the founders and owners of CPN. Dr. Steve Green is the executive producer of the Charisma Podcast Network. We intend to honor God with every podcast and remain thankful to our advertisers and supporters who make these podcasts possible.